Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Now, we're looking this morning in our series on Rediscover at three issues that are focused on in the Fruit of the Spirit and elsewhere, patience, kindness, and goodness. Analysis showed that on Thursday and Friday, it was the peak of the traffic. Okay, more than 17 million drivers on main roads and motorways, with 4 p.m. on Friday being the peak, as millions of people went shopping and visited people and got away for the weekend, etc. Did you see that news on the M23 that it was closed because the river ran along it? That was fun, wasn't it? And this is not far from where we live at the Dartford Tunnel. Looks fun, doesn't it, there? All those red areas. Now, my family will tell you, there's no secrets there, that I lack patience. (laughs) I'm not a patient person at all. And my idea of getting stuck in a traffic jam um, brings various phrases which they're used to saying, and things like, I think hell is going to be a traffic jam, (laughs) with nothing at the end of it. (laughs) Or, my life isn't long enough for this, and things such as that. It is something that I struggle. I'd rather drive, you know, for an hour than wait for 10 minutes. It is always, it's an issue, isn't it? It's my family sitting there, so I can't get away with it. It's traffic jams I do not like. It's my ultimate nightmare scenario, getting stuck in traffic jams, just like these ones. And living right near to the Dartford Tunnel means that you do sometimes experience just a little bit of traffic now and again. Sometimes it's an hour to drive for my... Right, okay. <laughs> I'm getting into it now. I got, that's it. I'm getting into it now. Just calm. Be calm. Uh, okay, then. <laughs> but three, this morning we're looking at three areas that are set out in the fruit of the Spirit that touch on that. Uh, I'll just read it in four for you, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So we're looking at three of those this morning. And um, fruit of the Spirit, okay, what does it make you think about? Maybe it makes you hungry now by showing you that. Um, now, there's lots of discussions on this because um, some people say, oh, you know, there's nine different fruit named here. But then others will say, well, actually, it's a nine flavoured fruit, okay, that you can't have one without the other. But in the Greek, it is what's called a collective singular. So you look at that and you say, yes, that's a bowl of fruit. And you can't take the elements away from that without it still being a bowl of fruit. Okay, we're not talking about fruit this sort this morning, of course. But actually what the scripture is saying is that they are fruit of the Spirit and they will go together. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, well, actually, you know, um, know, I'm very good on the sort of uh, the peace side. I've got lots of peace, but I just hate people. Um, You can't say that. So you can't separate them out. Okay, so you can't say... I'm very self-controlled, but don't wind me up because I'm impatient. You know, they come together and they work together. The fruit of the Spirit is a collective singular. It brings everything together. So we're supposed to grow in all areas. I mean, now I just picked out patience because that's something for me, but it shows a sign that I, you know, I need to grow a lot more in the fruit of the Spirit. Now, through our own endeavor, we can develop courage maybe or prudence and stuff like this something that we can do through putting self-discipline in our lives. But actually, the fruit of the Spirit is, is a supernatural thing. It's not about self-improvement. 
It's about yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God that will bring a change in our lives. We can make a lot of effort to be a better person, but actually walking with Jesus is the key to growth. It's the key to these fruit. It's a relationship with Jesus that we need. In the 17th century, there was a young man called Nicholas Herman. Okay, he was a soldier, and he got seriously injured in the Thirty Years' War and suffered with chronic pain for the rest of his life. And um, in about midlife, he went to live in a monastery near Paris, and he stayed there for 40 days as, 40 years, sorry, 40 years as a cook and sandal repairer. And that was his life for the rest of his 40 years. And he never did anything famous at all, but he had conversations with a chap called Joseph de Beaufort, who, after um, he had died, um, published his letters and his conversations in a book called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. He was known as Brother Lawrence. And this book has become incredibly popular amongst leaders and Christians and preachers. And he said um, these words. I don't think I've got it on the slide. No, I haven't. I'll read it to you. He said these words. This is Brother Lawrence speaking through this very small book, very small book. You can read it easily. I worshipped, apart from the language sometimes, but he said, I worshipped him in the oftenest I could, keeping my mind in his holy presence and recalling it as often as I found it wandered from him. I made this my business, not only at the appointed times of prayer, but all the time, every hour, every minute, even in the height of my work, I drove from my mind everything that interrupted my thoughts of God. You know, it's a short but inspirational work. It was not published in his lifetime. Um, but it has impacted many, many lives because he just spoke about walking with Jesus. That's what it was about. He just wanted to get closer and closer to God, and he made his practice to live in the presence of God. You know, in the New Testament letters, there are about 60 references to walk. I've mentioned this quite a few times before. It's a a theme that's important to me. And um, the scripture is telling us that we need to walk in our life. With Jesus, It's not passive that we actually have to walk. We don't have to run, we don't have to exert ourselves, but we definitely have to make a deliberate decision to walk in Christ, to walk with Jesus. Um, in the first century, if a Jewish man wanted to follow a rabbi, he would go to the rabbi and say to, you know, listen to his teachings and say he wanted to, to join his, his school or his group. And then the rabbi would decide whether he could. Um, Now, with Jesus, of course, he called his disciples, didn't he? Um, But it was common practice for that person who wanted to follow a rabbi to go and live with them, to listen to their teaching, but also to see their manner of life, to see how they interacted with others, to see how they dealt with everyday issues that we have to face. So it wasn't just about going to the synagogue or church, if we see it in our life today, but it was actually about seeing someone's life. And uh, there's a saying that comes from the Mishnah, which is... um, Jewish teachings written down about the time of Jesus, 200 years before and after. And the term it's got here is that in order to learn, you should powder yourself in the dust of their feet, the rabbi's feet, or sit amid the dust of their feet. And so what that is saying is that in order to learn from your rabbi, you have to spend every minute with him. You have to listen to what he says, see what he does, see how he lives his life. And uh, we, being disciples of Jesus, realize that that's what we have to do with Jesus. We have to spend time with him. We have to get the, his, his feet from his dust 
the dust from his feet onto our lives and see how he interacts with people and treats people. You know, long-suffering, gentleness or kindness and goodness need to develop in us through a spiritual process. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, you can receive a spiritual gift today and you can operate that spiritual gift straight away. Now, it's going to need developing and maturing and coaching and help, of course, to develop the gift to grow. But actually, you can practice and operate a spiritual gift. You can receive a gift of tongues or you can even receive you know, the word of knowledge as a gift and operate it straight away today. But that doesn't happen with the fruit. <laughs> it has to grow. You can't produce instant fruit. Sometimes if you buy fruit or veg in the supermarket, it doesn't have any flavor, does it? Have you noticed that? It's forced. In other words, it's grown under plastic. Not all, not all of it is bad, but sometimes they force it on to bring it to the supermarket so it looks like a nice red tomato when you get there, but it doesn't have much flavour because it's just been forced on. That's what they, they call it. And sometimes, you know, we, um, you know, we want to grow, don't we? And we say to the Lord, oh, Lord, I wish I had more patience. <laughs> I wish I was a kinder person. I wish I had more of this in my life. Well, how do you think the Lord's going to answer that prayer? You know, it brings to mind me the, um, you know, the film The Matrix. It's quite an old film now, I don't know if you haven't seen it. Um, I just wish that the Lord would download Christ-likeness in me. <laughs> there are parts in that film, I'm sorry if you haven't seen it, where Neo, the main protagonist or the main actor, he needs to learn to fight. And so they plug him into something, into his body, and they download jujitsu. And he says, I know jujitsu. And the guy says, show me. And he has all this fight. Anyway, it's a bloke's film really, I suppose. Anyway, and then there's another time when... Um, I don't know their names, it's terrible. With Trinity, which is another person in the film, she needs, there's a helicopter and she needs to fly it. And so they download the ability to fly a helicopter straight into her body and she flies off brilliantly in a helicopter. Now, don't you wish that the fruit of the Spirit was like that? <laughs> that you could say, Lord, give me, give me patience and peace. And then it suddenly comes and you've got the whole lot. <laughs> doesn't work like that, does it? <laughs> it really doesn't. <laughs> You know, if you go to the doctors and they prescribe something, you generally, you should do what they say, shouldn't you? Now, Elizabeth, as you know, my wife broke her arm three weeks ago now, and we go and see the consultant a couple of times, and he says, you must do this, but don't do that. Now, we're going to follow his advice, aren't we? If we want that arm to heal, we're not going to say, oh, well, you know, we're going to go and go on the dodgems at the fair or something. That wouldn't be a good idea for a broken arm. Or play table tennis or something, I don't know. Um, but you do what the doctor says. And, you know, if we're going to grow in the Holy Spirit, if we're going to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, then we need to submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to submit to what he's doing, what he puts us through. So when we say, Lord, give me more patience, he may do something that you really don't want him to do. It's actually quite a dangerous prayer to pray that because he says, I know just what you need. <laughs> Traffic jams. Um, <laughs> You know, I said that the Paris had traffic jams of 300 miles a couple of weeks ago when they was on strike, inevitably. That's crazy. I'm going back to traffic jams there, aren't I? Anyway, what am I doing? Anyway, right. You know? <laughs> but we tend to think, don't we, that the empowering of the Holy Spirit is for miracles or, or joy or something like that. But if we look at the Scriptures and we go to the book of Colossians, we can see that, um, you know, sometimes the empowering of the Holy Spirit is actually for just putting up with people. Because we need his Holy Spirit. It says here, look, for this reason, this is um, him praying, Paul praying. For this reason, we also, Colossians 1, 9 to 12. 
For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So that power, you see, power comes just before, doesn't it? According to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering. We can, the power of the Holy Spirit is there to help us grow, to give us patience and long-suffering. Interesting to put the two words together there, patience and long-suffering. But long-suffering, we can just imagine, you know, long-suffering. If you listen to the word, to suffer long, that is the true meaning of the word there, <laughs> to suffer long. I'm sorry, sorry, it is a Christmas message. <laughs> you know, but we are inclined, aren't we, to focus on the baptism of the Holy Spirit for our dynamic works. But scripture makes it very clear that that is also for helping us to grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit as well. Now, sometimes people can be very, very gifted, but their character can destroy their ministry. I've seen that in people's lives. They showed such promise, but they didn't submit to the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's their character that lets them down. I remember, it was quite a while ago now, 20 years or so, we had a guy in our church. He was originally from Australia, and he was an incredible speaker. Very gifted, very powerful, and God worked great miracles through him. And in fact, one half term, it was quite funny, half term he went on a preaching tour or something, and he took one of his sons with him. And when they came back from this time away, the lad went into school and they said, what did you do over the holidays? And he said to his class, I went with my dad and he prayed for this man. He had no eyes and they grew in the socket. Can you imagine in the class? <laughs> oh, right, says the teacher. I mean, you think, well, that's just amazing, isn't it? And uh, testimonies of God's miraculous provision where he's, he was with a group of people and travelling across the Australian outback and the car ran out of petrol. He said, Lord, please provide. And he said, we stopped the car, and there was cans of petrol by the side of the road. Incredible miracles. But, you know, he fell spectacularly. He didn't deal with his character. He had a terrible moral failure, ruined his marriage and his family because he didn't deal with his character. You know, people can destroy what God has given them because they just don't live right. And if we think of Jonah as well, you know, Jonah nearly destroyed himself and his ministry. He had such a powerful preaching gift that God said, go to the biggest city in the world, the most cruel city, a, God, a city that doesn't acknowledge God, and preach to them. So he, God knew that Jonah had such a gifting that he could transform a city on his own. And as we know the story, Jonah nearly destroyed his gifting, nearly destroyed because of his character, because he said, I don't want to do that. I hate these people. God, just destroy them. That was his view. <laughs> God said, actually, that's not my view, Jonah. He said, well, I'm going the other way, even though the story. Um, but it nearly destroyed him and his ministry. When he did eventually put himself together and preach, what a difference it made to that great city of Nineveh. Of course, even after that, he still had some character issues he had to deal with. This quote speaks volumes. It's not the talk, but the walk that matters most. And you know that yourself, don't you? You've met people who've got all this, haven't they? And then when you get to know him, you think, oh, dear, this person's a bit... There you go. But we need to walk the walk. You know, we need to grow in the fruit. But what do they look like? You know, we think we do, but sometimes we need to look 
at the word of God and see where these, these fruit, these areas are applied. Because often they are qualities and character um, traits of God himself, of Jesus. And we've got to say, well, how does he do this? How does he treat other people? How, if they apply them to God first, then we can see how they should come out in our lives as well. You know, it's important when we look in the Bible, we don't put a cultural framework on it or filter it in our own way, say, yes, it looks like this. We have to go to the word, compare scripture and see what that means for us as believers. So we're going to look at those three areas, even though they're interrelated. So let's look at them. The first point is, of course, as I've made earlier, is they are supernatural. You can't work them up yourself. You have to yield to the Holy Spirit, and then we will begin to grow in these areas. So let's look at patience or long-suffering. Okay, well, you know, it's actually God's name. It's part of his name, um, patience and long-suffering. Look at this. It says, now the Lord, this is to Moses, now the Lord descended, Exodus 34, 5 to 6. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. So that is the very essence of God's character there, amongst the others, that he's long-suffering and abounding in goodness. That is actually his character. And God's patience is not like a passive endurance. It is actually an active word. He actually does something about it. So in 2 Peter 3.9, we see this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God is long-suffering. Despite what we do and what people have done down through history, and if we had the choice, we'd probably destroy the lot of us. But God is not. He is not like that. He is long-suffering to the whole of humanity. Long-suffering to the extent that he sent his only son something we celebrate this time of year isn't it you know jesus probably wasn't born this time of year it was most likely october time but we mark this time and it's very important to do that that jesus came god gave of himself not anyone else he came himself i often say that to myself it's something i i still can't take in that god himself came and lived amongst us and died and here is a here's a christmas text for you Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's Christmas, isn't it? That Jesus, that God came in the flesh. Not only that, but he died upon the cross for us as well. Wonderful. And it says here in Romans 2 and verse 4, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So we see those words tied up, don't we? Patience, kindness, goodness, they're all there. It's what God is like. He's at the center of his character. He is the ultimate example of kindness and a patience, and that kindness leads us to repentance. You know, patience can be made, made very individualistic, really, like waiting for a bus or waiting for an appointment or something like this. But actually, when Paul reflects it back on us, as he always does, it's active, it's community, it relates to other people. 
and it's never passive. It's often patients under duress or injuries or insult or difficulties. He puts it in that context as well. Now, I used to be a bit of a sulker. I'm quite a sulk person, you know. If I didn't sort of get my own way or I didn't like something, I'd have a good sulk about it. And so that's immature. Now, but I came to the realisation one day, and I, I remember I was at home, and I think, it was, I think it was in the morning sometime, and I thought to myself, I'm not going to sulk anymore. I'm just not going to. Now, it wasn't a download. I think it was just over years of sulking. I'd realised how stupid it was. And, and, and God had grown me in that time, and so I was able to come to the place where I said to myself, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to sulk. I refuse to sulk about something. If I don't get my own way, if I don't like things, then I'm not... I refuse to do it. I refuse to sulk anymore. I'll just get on with it. I might get annoyed by something. I might have to deal with that. But actually, I will not sulk anymore. It took me years. <laughs> um, and I'm still growing, as we all are. But I just refuse to allow that, that emotion, that immature emotion, to control my life. We need to grow, don't we? And there's no way we can mature without suffering long. You know, um, I had a eucalyptus tree in my garden okay, a number of years ago, and I planted it, and I noticed one day that it was really taking a bit of a battering in the wind as it was growing, and so I staked it. Now, apparently, that is the worst thing you can do with a eucalyptus, if there's any gardeners here, because a eucalyptus grows, and its, its, its trunk is such that as the wind blows and breaks the trunk inside like this and backwards and forwards, the trunk gets stronger. That's how it works. The trunk of the tree gets stronger by being blown. And so as the tree gets bigger, the roots go deeper and the trunk gets stronger. But it has to come through the suffering of being blown in the wind. Now, what I did was, was to stake the tree. And so it couldn't blow in the wind. And so when it got to, like, I think it must have been about well over nine foot, nearly ten foot tall, suddenly I came out home one day and I said to my dad, my tree's falling down. And we had to pull it down before it caused any damage. And I thought, why did it do that? You know, why did it just suddenly collapse on me? And I looked it up in the book, the gardening book, and he said, whatever you do, don't stake it. <laughs> <laughs> so there, I learned that lesson now. <laughs> We've got some small ones growing again. But, you know, the maturity of the wind blowing against the tree, the, the stress the tree was under, made it, would have made it grow stronger if I hadn't staked it. And so sometimes we'd love to have staked lives, wouldn't we? We'd love to have a shelter around us so we don't have to go through problems. We don't have to deal with issues. We don't have to deal with all the things of life that we go through. But actually, they're there for a reason. We need to learn to live without a stake. We need to learn to live, live a life where we are under stress sometimes and through difficulties because then we learn to get closer to God. We can become bitter or we can become tender. And we will get closer to God when we go through these things. Let's move on to our next one, kindness or gentleness. Now, gentleness is power under control. You know, we can consider what God's kindness is like when we look at this text again, Romans 2.4, where it says, the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience. Not realizing that God's kindness in, is intended to lead you to repentance. God is so kind. His motivation is kindness. And it's a strong word. It's not like just like nice being, being nice to animals or something like that. <laughs> it's a lot stronger than that, kindness. That's a good thing. Um, but, um, you know, it's much more than that because God is so kind that he sent Jesus to die for us. That is the kindness of God. You know, 
And, um, you know, when you've received an act of kindness, don't you? When someone is kind to you, it feels really good. But, and maybe you've done kind things that makes you feel good. But actually, look at this. God, who didn't need to do anything about it, sent his son to die for us. That is the ultimate act of kindness. Now, God tells us just how, Isaiah 40 tells us just how powerful God is. Yeah, it says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his, in his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. That is how kind God is. And in the Colossians, patience and kindness again come together. Therefore, Colossians 3, 12 to 13, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. The model is Jesus, the kindness, the long-suffering, yet it's that interaction, that active kindness that we need to seek. You know, because God is like this, we should be like this also as well. It's not easy, is it? When you've been wrong, there are people here today, you've been wronged, haven't you? People have done things to you that are not good and they've not said sorry, but nonetheless, there's no prerequisite for us to extend kindness to people. It's something that we must do. We can't wait for another to do it. We have to initiate it. Let's look at the word goodness. You know, sometimes goodness seems a bit weak, doesn't it? If, if, I'm, if uh, my wife says to me, oh, I've made dinner, what do you think of it? I say, it's good. It's not a good word, guys. Not good. You say a bit more. And if she says, oh, I've got this new outfit, and we're going out, do I look all right? I say, yeah, good. Um, that's not good, is it? <laughs> You've got to be a bit more elaborate than you. So in the English language, sometimes goodness seems a bit, oh, it's a bit weak, isn't it? Shouldn't you say fantastic? Um, but actually, no, good, goodness is something else. Goodness is a character of a person, okay, in the context of the Bible. In um, 1 John 1, 5, it says, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. God is good. It's something that people say, and it means more than he does good things. It means that it, it's the essence of who he is. He is good. He is good. Holiness and righteousness are part of God's character. That's his goodness, that there is nothing wrong with him. He cannot do anything. All that he does and all that he stands for is good. In Psalm 100, verse 5, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. That is God's character. And it follows that we have to move towards that quality, that standard in our lives as well. It tells us about who we are, not just doing good things, but being a good person. But Acts eleven twenty four tells us that Barnabas was a good man. Yeah. And maybe if we're thinking of something good today, you think of someone who's of good character. You know, they're sound, they're honest, they're faithful. You know, you can trust them. If you tell them things, you can depend on them. And uh, there are really two sides to that goodness. The first is a passive side, which is the Bible describes it as being sought. So that a person can make a difference to a community or a workplace or a family without even saying anything, being that salt, that preservative. So that's the passive side. But the active side of goodness is this. Matthew twelve thirty five: a, per- a good person, a good person, produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. Three times it's mentioned. <laughs> and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. So there are three aspects there of a good person, okay? That they are a good person, that's the first one, that the treasure that's in their heart is good and that they bring out this treasure as well. They don't just hide it. They do something active 
about it. So that's the character of a good person and all that they do. And so the ultimate purpose and outcome of that passive, uh, active goodness, sorry, is Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. People will see you and they say, there's something different about that person. Not only the way they live and the way they act, but the things they do and the way they speak and the way they address themselves. That is that picture of an actively good person. It's an evidence, isn't it? It's evidence to people. Nahum 1.7 says this, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. That's Nahum 1.7. Do people look to you if they've got trouble, if they've got problems? Do people think, who can I trust with this issue? Who won't let me down? Who is a good person? Is there something in you that attracts others to you? Then it's goodness. It's part of who you are. It's part of your character. Now, some of you may have heard of um, Henry Neuwen. I really love his books. Um, it's not that I want to put his quote up, but actually that's quite good, that quote there. Um, but he ranks as one of the most significant spiritual leaders of our time. You know, there was a survey done in 2003 of pastors and leaders, and they said, after the Bible, uh, Neumann's writings were the most important thing to me. He was a very gifted man, okay, a, a, a psychologist, a pastor, a counsellor from a Catholic background, and he lectured at the Notre Dame University, Yale and Harvard in five languages. So he's pretty smart. <laughs> he was a smart guy, most definitely. And he, you know, he used to travel around speaking, and he could have made himself you know, really famous through that, really wealthy as a travelling speaker in all sorts of areas. He did a lot of stuff for the Latin American church as well. Um, but one day he said these words. After 25 years of priesthood, I found myself praying poorly, living somewhat isolated from other people and very much preoccupied with burning issues. I woke up one day with the realisation that I was living in a very dark place and that the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for spiritual death. Yeah, does that sound like a lot of people? <laughs> so busy with the things of life that we, we lack something spiritually, we lack the walk with Christ. And in 1960, he gave up that life. And he went to live in a community in Canada where he took care of a severely disabled man for the rest of his life. Now, he still wrote and he still spoke sometimes, but actually the focus of his life was getting, it was Alan, his name was, was getting him ready in the morning, washing him, feeding him, and taking care of him. And that's where he found his real fulfilment. Not on the preaching circuit, not on the fame, but actually in caring for another person. He didn't have to do that, but he did because he realised that was the most important thing, you know, demonstrating long-suffering, kindness and goodness towards someone who couldn't look after themselves. You know, that is spirit empowerment, isn't it, to something wonderful, something beautiful. <laughs> the context of uh, Galatians 5 is as a, a letter to live in liberty, to live in freedom. That is what Paul wrote Galatians 4. You, you know, he tells them you, it's an appeal to believers to live in the fullness of the liberty of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what Galatians is about. And it can't be achieved unless we walk in the Spirit. What does that mean, walk in the Spirit? You know, when we walk in the Spirit, it produces the character of God in us. And that should be our aim as believers. We need a demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That will change other people's lives, not so much the powerful things. And, um, you know, 
The message of Christmas is this, that Jesus came to set us free, to give us liberty. And the liberty is always active. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18 says this, When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. God is working in our lives as we yield to him, as we submit to him, as we pray that dangerous prayer, Lord, change me. (laughs) And then without any stake, we submit ourselves to the things that he brings upon us. Sometimes it would take a long time, um, but God is working through us. Now, I just want to read a Christmas carol to you this morning. I love to read them because they have such truths in them. And they tell us about what Christ has done for us. Those powerful words. It says in God, rest you merry gentlemen, that we should bring tidings or news of joy. Because it says these words, Jesus Christ, our saviour, was born to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. That's the message of Christmas. It's the message of Galatians as well. In the, first, in the first Noel, Noel means Christmas, of course, it says, Now let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord, who hath made heaven and earth of naught from nothing, and with his blood mankind has bought. And then this fourth verse from Angels from the Realms of Glory, Sinners wrung with true repentance, doomed for guilt to endless pains, justice now revokes the sentence, mercy calls you, break your chains. They're powerful words, aren't they, from a Christmas carol. Break your chains. God's mercy calls us to a relationship with him, a relationship of growth, a relationship of fruit, where when we interact with people, they will see something of God in us. I want that in my life. I'm still very much an unfinished work. I'm so clear of that every day of my life, that I need more and more of God's Holy Spirit working in me. But um, just keep putting one foot in front of another. Keep walking. Don't try to run. Keep walking day by day. Make those right choices to yield yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit. And that will get you through Christmas. (laughs) That will get you through next year. That will get you through whatever Satan throws against you. Whatever the world brings against you, whatever troubles and problems. And sometimes we pray that and God brings things into our lives that we don't want. But he is working to make you more like Jesus. And that is ultimately where we're headed Lord I thank you that you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit I thank you Lord that Lord you want us to be like your son you never give up on us Lord you keep working through your Holy Spirit to draw us into a closer relationship with you Lord we yield ourselves afresh to you today as we think of the story of Christmas and how your son came he lived amongst us He died and he rose again. And Lord, we just want to follow that path, that path of laying down our lives for you, Lord, that we may shine forth that goodness, the goodness of God amongst the people around us. Help us, Lord, to do that day by day, step by step, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.